Hello and welcome to this podcast with Pastor Tony Paolo, recorded live at Restoration Church of Rhode Island. Enjoy today's message. Hallelujah. We've been, we started last week um, on the topic of how Jesus views brokenness and um, what I did in the last week. We talked about Peter last week, right? You remember? I don't expect you to, sometimes I don't remember what I preached on, so don't feel bad. And um, so last week we preached on Peter, right? Yeah, thank you, Pastor Anthony. And uh, so this past week what I've been doing um, is really just been, I gravitated toward, I, I started reading through the Old Testament and New Testament, Mark, and started reading all the people, the kind, the kind of people that God used. I was like, man, it just kind of, it gave me great consolation um, because of their process of of brokenness and sinfulness, and, it, and, and it's not, and, and it wasn't an exception, it was the rule, and it wasn't, like, everybody that God elevated, like a David or a Solomon, are, 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 are people that we would say, yeah, they were great, but man, they really messed up here, and I told you this story last week, about five years ago, I had a conversation with an atheist in, in um, Providence, it was one of those uh, Brown University students, it was like, Lord Jesus, help me here. Um, and cause I know scripture, but I don't know how to, I can't, I'm not really good at debating and all that stuff. And the Holy Spirit really helped me. So this guy said to me, you know, one of the reasons why I don't believe there's a God is cause I, he's read the Bible. One of the reasons why I don't believe there's a God is because of the kinds of people he uses. And then I was like, wait, hold on a second. And I says, no, one of the reasons why there is a God is because of the kinds of people he uses filled with grace and filled with with mercy. This is the God uh, that we serve. And I've been using, I've been thinking about scripture because I, I, I have my degree in clinical counseling. I know, I, I've read, I process mental health dynamics. And, and we are taught in school, we are taught how, address, how to address dysfunction and method, mental health issues and brokenness in life and reframing and perspective and process. We are taught all through that. I'm still paying a student loan to prove it. <laughs> How many of you are paying for student loans? All right. We'll have an altar call specifically. I'm like, does this number ever go down? How long will it take? I have an, I'm afraid to ask that question. I'm like, Jesus, I pray you come back soon. I'm more scared of my student loan than I am my mortgage. Anyway, you see how I got sidetracked? Anyway. And so, and so I'm like, but but now I, I, I'm, I'm involved in, 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 the, in the word. And when I place... Mental health in the context of covenant, we must acknowledge the power of the cross. We must acknowledge the power of healing. We must acknowledge the power of, of covenant, of, of wholeness in Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm really preaching this sermon as I, I'm always from my heart because I've witnessed too many people disqualify themselves from God's best based on what we call brokenness. And I almost want to use quotes on the brokenness because we always put brokenness in the con. When you put brokenness in the context of the cross, the cross always wins. Always. And when we put our perspective, you see, just because we have a perspective of something doesn't mean it's right. Just because you think something is true doesn't mean it's truth. <laughs> have you ever told somebody something that is scriptural and they're like, I don't believe that. Well, it's in the book of Ephesians. I still don't. Oh, okay. Like they've never. And so I've learned that God's process always crushes our perspective. 
This is so important that we grasp this. And, and I, I'm, I'm all about mental health, but I'm all about the cross. And I think the church should be the professionals when it comes to people finding help and assistance for their anxiety and depression and suicide and brokenness and overcoming their trauma, overcoming their past. And, and so I've been, thinking about the, I've been thinking about this sermon, how people disqualify themselves from God's best based on their own process based on their own perspective, based on their own uh, uh, brokenness. But when I, when I think about the proof of God is his mercy. The proof of God is that you're here. God's alive. How do I know God is alive? You're here. Look at your neighbor and you say, and say God's alive because you made it. That's it. Because you made it, I am convinced there's got to be a God. And this came up yesterday at our men's event. Pastor Anthony brought this up. Years ago, our former pastor used to always say, God, bring us the people that nobody else wants. And that's powerful. When you think about it, that's us. (laughs) We're like, here we are. That's us. Yes, God, bring those people nobody else wants. Wait, hold on a second. That's me. (laughs) It's I love the healing power of Christ. And when I tour throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament and repeatedly see where today we're going to be featuring just three people, three people that in my mind raised my heart and mind. We're featuring three people in the Bible that have prominent dysfunction in their lives. And we talk about these great people. We talk about their great lives in the Bible. And there's so many of them. I mean, can you think of one person that's broken that God used in the Bible? David, all of them. Who else? Paul, Saul, Samson. A complete mess. I mean, nobody had it together. Not one part. Jesus had it together. But when we think about the people, the men and women that God picked up and picked out, I'm like, man, I feel, I feel pretty good about my walk. I feel pretty good about my faith and not so bad that God picked me. And it is about his grace and it is about his his mercy. And the thing that amazes me about these great people are actually lived by broken people with with serious issues. And the first person that I think of is Solomon. He's now in 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 7. The Bible says that Solomon did not follow the Lord completely. Solomon is the guy who, remember God says, hey, I'm going to give you one thing. You got one wish. Rub the gene. Rub the lamb. You got one wish. What would you wish for? Solomon asked for what? Wisdom. The smartest guy in the entire world and the richest guy. He's the one that built that God used powerfully. See, David thought he was going to be used to be used to build the temple. God says, it's not going to be you, David. It's going to be Solomon. So imagine the guy with the reputation that says, yeah, God says, yeah, he's, he's my boy right there. He's the guy that built the temple. But he's not only the guy who built the temple, he also built shrines for idols. Built the temple and filled it throughout doing good things. You built some shrines. Every once in a while, it's like, man, I had so many good days. I mean, you could be known for building some great things for God, but also known for doing some kind of not so good things. I mean, the strikeout king, the home run king was also the strikeout king. 
the guy who hit the most home runs also hit the most strikes. And in that chapter, that same chapter, it says Solomon did not follow the, the Lord completely. In the Hebrew, is that he didn't have his whole heart in following the Lord. Whole. So he had this fragmented pursuit of Jesus. And, and, and God, the cross is so powerful, he doesn't wait for your perfection to begin the process. He's so powerful that if you got a hiccup here and there, I'm not justifying hiccups at all. All right? I want to make that clear. That, that God has used Solomon in such powerful ways. And in that same chapter, it says that Solomon, I mean, Solomon is well known in the Bible as having a sexual addiction. He had a thousand sex partners. I would say that's pretty, I would say that's an issue, don't you? At one time, that's sin. I know the world would be like, yo, Solomon, oh, snap. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a bit, that's a bit of a problem there. That'll, quickly lose, that'll cause you to quickly lose focus real quick. But yet, he's known as building the temple for the Lord. But in between, he built shrines for pagan gods. And this is the kind of person that God used now as known as, yeah, I don't want to be that guy that starts strong and finishes weak. Here's the deal. In the book of, in the book of Galatians, the, uh, Paul rebukes the church of Galatia because he says, you started off strong, but somewhere along the line, you kind of phased, you fizzled off and you phased off. Another person that's come to the, the forefront of my mind, and somebody said her name was Rahab, the infamous prostitute in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament. And in fact, Rahab was an a, a, a infamous prostitute and it never says that she came to the Lord, like she responded to an altar call. Never says that she joined a small group. Never says she went to a church. It just says that she hid the spies and she believed in God. She didn't have the opportunity to attend the Bible study. But yet, in this beautiful story, we see God's mercy, including Rahab. In fact, she's included in the lineage of Jesus now. See, what I don't get is that Rahab is a Gentile, pagan, Amorite prostitute, and she's included in Matthew chapter 1. You ever read Matthew chapter 1? It's like, oh boy, this, this is not anointed at all. It is, <laughs> Yeah, God, it's God's word, so it's anointed. But God includes Rahab. She's Jesus' great, great, great grandmother. Now, I remember when I was in school, we had to work on our family line and family lineage. I don't know if you ever had that assignment. I did the DNA test where you had to spit into a little jar. You ever did that? Anybody did that? Yeah, yeah, two people. Thank you. I did it. I mean, it was on sale, and I just did it. And, and so in the family line, you had to just basically go back in your lineage. And, and so I would ask, when my, this was years ago, my grandmother was alive. I asked her questions. I asked my father questions. I asked my, my grandfather questions. And so, and, and I was like, wait, hold on. How about Uncle Frankie? They were like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't talk about drunk Uncle Frankie. Don't include him. No, I, God wants drunk Uncle Frankie in the family line. See, the more you, did, the more you try to disqualify your past or the evil of your past, the more you disqualify God's power over your life. God says, 
I want Rahab. Rahab was the, 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 the mother of Boaz. She marries a man from the tribe of Judah, has a son called Rahab who marries Ruth, and then their son is Obed, who's the father of Jesse, who's the father of King David, who's the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. So Jesus says, listen, no, I want my great, great grandmother in the lineage because I want to show the world the power of God. When it hits the power of God, it hits people's lives that the cross always prevails. So don't try to disqualify yourself. I've seen too many people say, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. Well, why not? And I, and I love the whole aspect of it is that the things that you, that God helps you overcome, God uses that in your testimony. God, pay attention to that. God often uses that and wraps that up and recycles. He doesn't get rid of trash. He recycles. Your testimony is taking your past and recycling it and filtering it through the power of the cross. I mean, the whole aspect of it is scripture is flooded with the process that what you consider brokenness, God sees as a stage for heaven to perform. Do not dismiss God working on your life. Rahab was immediately ushered into a vast world of promise. All because, Bible says, Bible says she just hid the spies and God took that as faith. Isn't that, power, isn't that so powerful? God, Bible says for Abraham, it was accredited unto him righteousness just because he believed in God. You are immediately, so this is what we have to battle against. I have to battle God's process battling against my perspective. This is the constant battle that we face every single day. Do I say what I say about myself based on my own perception? Or do I say what God says about me based on truth? This is what we have to battle against. Don't disqualify yourself. God wanted Rahab in the lineage of Christ, and he wants you included in the plan of mankind. Then I keep thinking, all week I've been thinking about, I know I preached on Peter last week, but I'm going to include him. Is that okay? Good, thank you. I've been thinking about him all week. He rejected Jesus. He denies Jesus. Jesus rebukes him. Jesus confronts him. Jesus calls him Satan. That's I would say is a, a sign of brokenness is when Jesus calls someone Satan. The passing translation says it this way. Get out of my way, Satan. Like if I had that confrontation with Jesus, I'm like, okay, I need to pray and fast here. Because Jesus just called me. Jesus just called me Satan. What? Are you sure? He called me Satan. That's a bad day. And and only reason why he called him Satan is because, listen, you're processing man's thoughts and you're not processing God's thoughts. Okay, wow. So that means if I process my thoughts, heaven's celebrating when I process my own process. I don't want, I don't want the devil to ever amen my thoughts. But yet, when I elevate my brokenness above the cross, the enemy's like, yay, you keep going. So I make a motion that for every time, for every one time you say, my brokenness, we elevate the power of the cross ten times. Every time we say, I don't know, I'm just stuck. We focus on the cross. 
We focus on the power of Jesus. And, and we focus, Peter, yet, yet Peter is the guy who preaches the very first sermon for the church. And the Bible says 3,000 people were added. Is Peter the perfect candidate for that moment? In our eyes and in our own process? No. But Jesus, when he went to heaven, he's like, oh, man, is Peter the guy? I'm, I'm about to be ascended to heaven, and I'm going to leave the responsibility to lead the church to Peter. But yet for every time he denied Jesus, Jesus gave him a thousand souls to be added to the church. This is, this is a scripture now. So some of us are in that mindset where we fuel our failures instead of fueling our faith. Think about what heaven celebrates. Think about what heaven celebrates about you, and what the devil celebrates about you. I, I, I want you to now. The truth is supposed to stunt the process that hell celebrates. Think about it. You could have messed up a thousand times, but the Bible says a righteous man gets up. You fall a thousand times, but you get back up after a thousand times. And so I, I think about these stories in three, these three people, Solomon and, <coughs> and, and Rahab. And, and, and I think of Peter. And I think of Paul. I think of David. I think of Samson. I, I think of all these people that have evidence of, of, of being marred by the world and marred by flesh. But I also want to highlight some learning points that I feel like I want to share with you today. Some le- what do we learn from these people? What, what is it that, what I learned about these people is that God is completely honest in his depiction of the human condition. He knows, Psalm 103, what we talk about, and, and we don't forget his benefits. Surely goodness, and we, we, we talk about, uh, we will bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. We will not forget his benefits. He heals our bodies. He forgives our sins. But in that context, in verse 14, talks about, he knows that we are coming from dust. He knows our frame. So he's, uh, God is completely honest and aware of the depiction of the human condition. He's not going into this blind. He's well aware of what he's getting himself into. So the reason why it, it's so important when we read Psalm 103.14, that he's aware of our condition, he knows your frame, he knows that you are created from dust, is because in that context, he talks about he's fully investing you with his love and mercy and grace and all of his benefits and aware of our sinful condition, yet fully investing. I'm not a big... I'm not a big guru in stocks, but if you see a stock with the arrow going down, you go, I'm going to stay away from that one, right? If it goes up, it's good. That's all I know, Matt. If it's going down, it's bad. But the Bible says, we learned this last week, that while we were yet sinners, the arrow going down, we were not stock to be invested in. But while the stock was, I mean, we just crashed. Christ said, I'm all in. I'm taking it. All of heaven was bankrupt. Every account in heaven was bankrupt for us. And that is what the cross is about. And, but it is clear that before we came to Christ, we were sinners. Before we came to Christ, we, were, we could do nothing. We are nothing. We lived in darkness. Job says, he says, as he was sitting in dust and ashes, he says, I hate myself. I'm a sinner. Isaiah says, woe to me, I am an unclean man. Peter says, 
Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. But then the plan of the cross was engaged. But then Jesus Christ came onto the scene. The gospel invites you to come and live in the light. This is what the gospel, the power of the gospel is. And maybe your next breakthrough today before you leave church, maybe your breakthrough is a revelation of the gospel coming to your mind as light. The revelation of the gospel coming to your heart as light. That you would live in the light and see Christ. He's the light of the world. He he didn't come and say, listen, I'm the darkness of the world. He says, I'm the light of the world. Come out of the darkness and dwell in the glorious light of Christ. And let's not, in this battle, now I'm not sure about you, but in this battle, sometimes I'm so entrenched in, in the thoughts that, Hell celebrates. Sometimes I'll elevate the the, the 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 dysfunctions of the world, and I'll elevate my pre-conversion life, and I'll elevate my own perception, and I'll elevate my self-view, and because I'm so I'm so confused. And when I get back into the world, I realizing that I'm insulting the cross by elevating my life before I came to Jesus. Just because it feels comfortable doesn't mean it's right. And sometimes we have this notion that we've been, we've been stuck for so long. When the opportunity for freedom comes, oh, it's scary. Because in John chapter 4, what did Jesus say to the man who was lame for 38 years? If you're, he says for the, to the man who was lame for 38 years, he's crippled for 38 years. Jesus asked him, do you want to get healed? And because sometimes we get so entrenched in the darkness and our own thought and our own thought patterns and our own dysfunctions and and we get so entrenched that when healing comes it's exciting but we don't respond because it's scary because to change change sounds great until you have to do it right change sounds awesome until you have to do it but i'm making a decision now let's not elevate brokenness any longer brokenness cannot be equated with your standing with god god's process crushes our perspective, okay? The way God sees you now is in your new nature. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he sees you justified in your new nature. Just because you've had broken experiences and broken perspectives and even made broken decisions, why do we continue to label ourselves as can't do it. Why? Because I'm um, do you think God says I can't use you now. You're broken. You know what God said? Jesus said, yeah, I want you on my team. What? I, I, I can't. I mean, I could make broken decisions, but God sees me in my New nature. Now, there's also misrepresentation with that. Sometimes we we have the pressure in misrepresenting ourselves. We have the pressure of putting on a mask on Sunday morning. How you doing? Praise God. Amen. Praise God. You put on. Everybody has their Sunday morning smiles. Come on. Praise God. How you doing? Good. And you know, because we're all in a rush. How you doing? Good. Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good. And one, one time somebody says, "Hey, how you doing, Pastor Tony?" And I wasn't doing good. And I says, "I'm not doing good." They were like. <gasps> They didn't know what to do with themselves because the pastor is ready to go up and preach a sermon and he's not doing good. 
Well, you know, that day I wasn't. I didn't sleep. I, you know, my cup of coffee wasn't good in the morning. I, I had an argument with my wife. <gasps> but we, met, we misrepresent. The gospel doesn't endorse a mask. The gospel endorses transparency. So fine, you don't have to tell. And when I say transparency, forgive me, Facebook does not count. Your two and a half thousand friends don't need to see and hear what's going on. Tell two people and say, I am not doing good. Let's go out for a cup of coffee. See, take your mask off. You see, if you're hiding or even comparing yourself, you know what? The prerequisite of comparison is mask. See, God doesn't anoint you when you try to pretend to be someone else. God doesn't anoint you when you're hiding from his plan for for so if God is like hey I'm looking for some people to use and you're disqualifying yourself the people who are stepping back in his kingdom are actually the people that are stepping up because the more you try to disqualify yourself God is looking at as a qualification so I'm thinking about this whole process like that's not how God sees me because when I read through the epistles read through the entire New Testament And it'll be amazing, the revelation of how God sees you. Grace is applied to my life, and what you see is what you get. You don't like me? I was going to say too bad, but that's not really nice, right? I need you to, I I don't need you to like me, I need you to love me. Because God loves me. And because he's approved of me, I don't have to prove myself. And, and the people that really struggle with this whole idea of brokenness put themselves in a place to prove themselves. God has approved of you. And if I don't, it's, God has approved of you. It, that's it. The cross, Jesus says, you are, it's finished. That's the whole process of heaven. He's approved of you, no matter if you feel it or not. That's by faith. And so if you're not walking in that perspective and walking in God's process and reminding yourself of God's word and his truth in your life, guess what? You're going to try to receive from other people what you're going to get from Christ. So if I don't say hi to you, then you go to another church. That's, I know we're making jokes, but this is how serious this is. Mary, I said, I waved at you and she she didn't wave back. That's, I'm just using that as a reference. I'm not just... See, I receive from, from Christ his benefits. He knows me. I operate in his grace. So what happens is that I need to get in gear with God's process. Jesus said, it's finished. The work is done. I'm going to jump onto that process. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 says it this way. If, I, if my heart condemns me, we know that God is greater than my heart and he knows everything. You ever feel condemned by your own self? You ever beat you up? <laughs> okay, a couple of people have here. It's here. Man, I can, man, I can, I can be really tough on myself. I'm like, God, what's going on? And God's waiting, going, tell me when you're done. I'm over praying for over. God, give me a spirit of overcoming. God's like, just cut it out, man. You just, you're your biggest enemy. And He says, if your heart condemns you God is greater than your heart and he knows 
everything about everyone. Like he knows right now your deepest, darkest secrets. <gasps> I remember when I grew up in the Spanish church. Um, I don't know if you've had, had this, to Antonio. In the Spanish church, the, spa the pastor, I was like seven years old, scared. The pastor used to say, when you go to heaven, he's going to show your life on film. And he's going to show all of your sins. And I was like, <sighs> And I believe that for like until yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. <coughs> he says, he would, he, he says, your life would be on film, or, and everybody would see it, and he would judge you on that. But see, my Bible says that God threw that film away. God says, God says, and, and the reason, the way it's written in the Hebrew, he doesn't forget your sin. The Hebrew says he chooses to forget your sin. So we forget as a product of our humanity. He forgets as a product of his divinity. He says, I'm making a decision. To forget, I can't, I can't, this whole thing is, yeah, I, I, I forget, but I have problems forgiving. Well, me too. I forget, but I have problems forgetting. Me too. I'll forgive you, but I'll always remember, <laughs> which, which really helps me to remember now to re-forgive. Forgiveness is a process, but God has forgiven you. He doesn't see you as he, you see you. He's justified you. He looks at you just as if you'd never sinned. So if your, if your process condemns you, the Bible says that God is greater than your process, and he knows everything. And the cross has created a launching pad from my mind to go from my perspective to God's process. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And we all know, we know this scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, I read that scripture. And when you see the word therefore, you always ask why there is, that word is therefore. But when we read it in context, in verse 16, this is really interesting. We never read 16. 16, Paul says, so we have stopped evaluating ourselves from a human point of view. Don't, when you evaluate yourself apart from grace, shame will be knocking at your door. I love grace. You know why I love grace? Because grace is like, oh man, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Grace? All right, let's go. Grace enables me to start when I don't feel like I'm ready. Grace enables me to have a process that I'm ready when I don't feel like I'm ready. I I'm worth it even when I don't feel like I deserve it. You don't deserve it, but you're worth it. So Paul says, let's stop evaluating ourselves from a human point of view. When I evaluate myself from a human point, oh, I got so much work more. I got, God, I'm just broken. I'm I'm a terrible, rotten sinner. But then Paul says in verse 17, Therefore, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So in the light of the messes of life, church, let's do three things. Let's build, first of all, let's build a culture of authentic openness. You know, you know what? I love when people are just honest, even if it's a little rough. When, even if it's a, like, I, I, I love people who are just like, just, you never have to guess where they're coming from. 
I don't really like to approach where they smile and you're like, wow, where'd that knife come from? That came from the guy who was smiling at you. But I also don't like people. Well, this is who I am. I tell the truth. I can't help if I hurt your feelings and offend people. You want to know the truth? Well, no, I don't like that either. Because the truth comes in love. Truth casts out love casts out all fear. Truth does come as a as a weight. Truth never comes to you as a pillow. So be, let's do me a favor. Let's be, and this is why we build a culture of, of small groups. So church is better done in circles with coffee around a cup of ta- around a cup of coffee around a table and pasta and, and and salad. Church is done better in your homes than it is here. In fact, church doesn't start at 11, and I know some of you knew that because you came at 11.20, but church starts at 11. Church starts. Hey. Church starts at 12.35. Church starts when you leave here. And this is why we join small groups. Because when I'm in a group of people, it's easier for me in a group of five, six people to say, I haven't been sleeping, man. I've just been overwhelmed with anxiety. And guess what we do? Sip of coffee, pastries, let's pray. Everywhere, do you know that everywhere Jesus went, there was food? Yes. <laughs> and, and somebody said to me, there won't be any food in heaven. They're no longer my friend. It's <laughs> the first thing we do, man, when we get to heaven. Dunkin' Donuts, Josh. In two weeks. Authentic. Not just, this is why I said, I said, authentic. Life is messy. How many of you acknowledge life is messy? But when we're open, the Mess- and we include the Messiah, he has his way of taking our messes and really creating a structure for life. And you know what? You know what makes a church healthy? is not perfection. What makes a church healthy is process. What makes a church healthy is, is having people in your life to, to say, hey, yeah, let's do coffee. Let's do, let's do coffee. Let's do breakfast. Why is food always included in the gospel? Because food loosens people up. Give me a cheese danish and a coffee, and I'll spill, I'll spill my secrets. People are like, okay. Isn't it true? It's like, if we ever have an event and there's no food, you have the right to confront me. We're having pasta with, obviously, pasta with the pastor. Pasta. It's like, what does it do? It makes people comfortable. So you don't have to be open. And this is why I say Facebook doesn't count. Because to be open to 3,000 people is just unfair to your process. Be open to three people. Be open to four people. And some of you have been in that motion where there are several people. And the, and the thing is, is that so, so they know your secrets. So when you get out of that mess, they respect your testimony. You see, when Noah, when he was drunk and he slept naked, his sons, they went to cover his sin. But when they went to cover his sin, they walked backwards. So this is what we have to do. And we're not covering your, your secrets or covering your sin to enable your dysfunction. We're covering your sin to enable redemption. That God wants to do something great in your life. So I'm that guy. Tell me a secret and I'm the only person that knows. It goes with me to the grave. <laughs> Somebody's like, oh my God. <laughs> so this is... Let's build 
a culture. Let's contextualize the mess of life by including the Messiah in our conversation. Secondly, and I'm going to steal this from Planet Fitness. Actually, we had it first on their Pizza Mondays and Chocolate Tuesdays and Bagel Wednesdays. Let's celebrate a judgment-free zone. Celebrate it. Let's just not create it. Celebrate it. Because something you celebrate, it surfaces to the top. When we celebrate a birth day, it's your date. Some people have birth months. You want to be spoiled the whole month. I know. I know. So I'm honest. It's okay. My, my day is at the end of the month, so I get an entire month. Some of you are like March 1st, and then it's over. That's it. But we celebrate. It, it's, when the Jewish people celebrated something, guess what? It was accentuated in their lives. So we're going we're gonna to build a, cel- a culture of celebration, and we're going to celebrate a culture-free zone, a, a judgment-free zone. When I went to, um, I visited Planet Fitness just to visit them. And God was showing him around. I was like, <laughs> you guys have pizza? He goes, sir, this is a judgment-free zone. I was like, calm down. I just kind of find it kind of funny, you know. Was like, and he was like, this is a judgment. This is a, now, this doesn't mean that if somebody, if your brother and sister are intentional sin, that it doesn't mean if someone's down, you get to kick them. Like those bank fees when you bounce a check. Boom. Like, I'm down. Not me, you guys, that's happened to you. I'm down, and you're going to kick me while I'm down? I'm in the negative, and you want to take another $35 from me? If somebody is down, guess what? You get down with them. That's what Jesus did. He didn't go up from heaven and go, okay, come on. He went down. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And then he pulled us back up so that we are able to boldly before come the throne of grace to obtain mercy. I'm not, if, so, if a brother and sister that you are connected with is in sin, you get to say, listen, you smell like beer. You, you said you were going to quit smoking, but you smell like Marlboro Lights. What happened to the patch you were supposed to be wearing? Especially if someone's in your group. If someone's in your group, you get to say, hey, brother. Hey, sister, what's up? That's not, that's not judgment. That's keeping someone accountable. What I'm talking about is, is, is actually looking out for people. And I interesting that Jesus, the only people that he judged were the religious. When the when the woman was actually caught in the act of adultery, the religious people were like, let's, let's get her. And Jesus said, Time out. He who is is without sin cast the first stone. And they were like, Oops. So let's build a culture. Of mercy. Let's actually celebrate, thirdly, a culture where grace wins. I love it. I love it when grace wins. Because grace enables me to step up instead of step back. Grace builds a cushion against my own destructive thoughts. Grace decreases the space between, I, the, the, the space that I create. My thoughts, my thoughts that are not connected to the Bible actually create a separation between me and God. And grace 
brings me closer. Grace says, come in instead of get out. Grace says, it's, it's, if you've missed church for months, we don't go, what is wrong with you? We say, hey, we missed you. What's going on? I'm glad you're back. High five. Come to the altar with me. Grace enables you. Grace is the great qualifier of heaven. Grace is the great includer of heaven. You know what grace does? Grace takes the punishment away. The difference between grace and mercy, there's a difference. They're both beautiful traits of God. It's, it's not a trait, it's who he is. It's the whole thing. It's the gospel. So if somebody were to break into your house in the middle of the night, you got a baseball bat. Everybody, every man should have a plan, right? Yeah, huh? you have a plan. Don't be so holy. You got a plan. You got a family. You're like, I got a plan. Mercy is, this guy deserves a beatdown, but I'm not going to give him one. Grace is, you prepare a meal for him. Sit down. So mercy releases us from the punishment. Grace allows you to have benefits that we don't deserve. So he prepares a table before you. But not only does he prepare a table for you, he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Be drawn to the light of Jesus and his love for you. Are we a, a group of men and women in process and in progress? 100%. Is life a mess? 100%. But the Bible says that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. So guess what? My friends, as broken as you may feel all the labels that you have given yourself, God says you're included. I want you on my team. I want you. God doesn't see you. And I think there's probably somewhat confusion on his part because he, we see us the, apart from grace. And he sees you the way you respond to you. And he's like, what is going on? Jesus said it is finished. He sees you according to your new nature. Because his divine plan requires that he sees you according to your new nature. So let's do this. Let's separate ourselves from the process that heaven does not agree with. And you know that process. You don't even have to know scripture. You just have to know God's ways. You may not have to find a scripture or quote it, but you can easily find it. And the, the way the mind works is very cyclical. It goes in circles. This is why the whole phrase, that person's crazy, and because it's just cyclical. We do this. It's just a, a process that goes over. It's not parallel. It does this over. So once you throw in a new thought, like the truth of God's word, this is why I say every week, you're an awesome spirit being a magnificent word created in the image of God. Say that to your neighbor. You're an awesome spirit being a magnificent word created in the image of God. I heard all kinds of stuff. Why do I say that? Because I want you. Why do I say things like your future is bright? Because I want you to throw that in. Into the process. Of thinking. God's ways. God's mindset. Are always truth. I invite you out of the darkness. Come into the wonderful light. I invite you out of the dark world of your own process, of your own thoughts. Come into the light as part of an equipping church. We preach the word. As an equipping church, we have groups. 
led by counselors and mental health professionals that help you. And when we have those groups with mental health professionals, we don't treat you, we don't treat you like you're a victim. We treat you like you're an overcomer. And I'm sorry, but the world has labels like, oh, I'm a survivor. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you're an overcomer. God didn't, Jesus didn't die on the cross so you'd be a survivor. Jesus died on the cross so you'd be more than a conqueror. And I struggle with this whole process, and I've had conversations with, with Chuck and some of our 12-step team. It's like this whole thing, yeah, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Oh, how many years sober? Oh, 40. How is it that you're still recovering? My last beer was 40 years ago. My friend, you're not recovered. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You want to filter in your own process? You get your own results. Filter in God's process? His love is greater than your heart. We don't evaluate ourselves to man's point of view. We get God's results. Come on, let's sing this out. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening. Tony Paolo is the lead pastor of Restoration Church. If you would like more information, go to restorationchurchri.com.